Kidal in the north of Mali, 2012. In the Ifogas Mountains, also called the Malian Torabora, French and Malian soldiers fight the last jihadist pockets, pushing them over the non-existent border to Algeria. Just in 2011, Mali, located in a region rife with coup d'etat, was seen as a poster child for democracy in sub-Saharan Africa. But below the surface, the dire economic situation in the north and mounting separatist sentiments created a hotbed for violent non-state actors to flourish. The fall of Gaddafi created an influx of battle-hardened Tuareg separatists and Islamist extremists that triggered a seven-year-long war in which terrorist groups thrived. This culminated in the 2012 call for help by the Malian government, triggering the biggest counter-terror operation since the invasion of Afghanistan in a desperate attempt to solve what's now been described as the bloodiest conflict in UN peacekeeping history. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Terror Talk. Our topic today is a very timely one, counterterrorism strategies in sub-Saharan Africa. Today we'll look at the case study of, Ma- of Mali. I'm happy to have three experts with me, Miss Amanda from the Institute of Security Studies, Miss Stephanie, former French commander in Operation Serval, and Miss Elena, expert on sub-Saharan Africa at the NGO Natura Desert. So let's get right into it. Amanda, can you please tell us something about the main actors threatening peace in Mali? Of course. As mentioned earlier, in January 2012, northern Mali was overrun by a coalition consisting of Tureg rebels, who are secular separatist groups, and Islamist terrorist groups. They have changed formations and allegiances since 2012. Today, the most prominent group is the Group for Support of Islam and Muslims. Their Arabic name shortens to Janim. Janim is actually a coalition including Akim and Ansar Dine that formed in 2017 and is the official branch of Al-Qaeda in Mali. So what do Islamist terrorists want? Very simplistically, they aim to establish a caliphate, so a state ruled by one leader under strict Islamic law, and they intend to achieve this through military force. But I want to stress that not all individuals fighting with these groups fully adhere to this ideology. Many include less radicalized non-religious members who are motivated by grievances and see these groups as their best means to achieving their own ends. Could you say a little bit about the support the Islamist terrorist groups are receiving, financial or otherwise? Terrorist groups engage in lucrative criminal activities such as bank robbery, extortion, kidnapping and drugs, arms and human trafficking en route to Europe. Financing for localized chapter groups may also come from larger networks like Al-Qaeda. Speaking of this crime-terror nexus, I'd like to ask the commander present today, what do we even mean by counterterrorism and how does it work? Generally speaking, counterterrorism is an act that seeks to defeat terrorists by eliminating their organizations, supporters, and diminishing their underlying social conditions that terrorists seek to exploit. But you as a soldier just play the first string, right? Indeed. Our mission in Serval was to halt the southward advance of Islamist insurgents with our special forces and smoke out the Akim's sanctuary in the Adra de Ifogas Massif. And this is the whole formula for success? Mais bien sûr. But that's not everything. Effective counterterrorism depends heavily on the strategies that each terrorist group pursues. You cannot use a one-size-fits-all approach. What are you hinting at, Amanda? 
Unlike what most people think, terrorists aren't brutal just for the sake of being brutal. Brutality is a tool. It is the means to an end, and the goal is to attract the domestic population while outbidding competing groups. Ah, really? Are extremist groups that strategic? Certainly. Depending on their political goals, terrorists pursue different strategies. They use violence to signal their power and commitment not only to the domestic audience, but also to the national government. Academics refer to this as an attrition strategy. But violent attacks also work to provoke a reaction from adversaries. But why would you do that as a strategy? Provoke retaliatory action against your own group, especially when you're the weaker actor. It may be counterintuitive at first, but the basic idea is that the adversary, say a Western country, responds with a large-scale attack whose collateral damage affects much of the local population. As a result, the attacking government is painted in a negative light and the civilians are more likely to support the terrorists. So do I understand correctly that the very attempt to fight terrorism might fuel it? Yes, exactly. That is the terrorist advantage, and it's exactly why attacks need to be as targeted and discriminate as possible. But that's just scratching the surface. Counterterrorism strategies have to go beyond military means. Terrorists try to destroy the society's resilience by spoiling strategies like attacking in election times. We need to consider what it means for people to live in a constant sphere of violence. Any disobedience by the people under their control might result in harsh punishments, even death. True, intimidation is a major terrorist strategy. But between 2011 and 2012, the heads of Al-Qaeda ordered a new approach. They wanted to project social control and be seen as liberators, not occupiers. By implementing a softer version of Sharia, subordinates are forced to pay ransoms for their lives. Sounds liberal. Well, it's already led to conflict. In letters, Akim leader Abdel Wadud warned his commanders not to implement body punishments as the Muslim population, multi-ethnic and open for liberal interpretations, weren't ready. Anzer al-Dine's leader, Al-Khali, instead rushed south with brutal force. And this played out in our hands. We had the popular support on our side. We came as liberators informed by the local population about terrorist whereabouts. They could not merge with them, but had to run. We cleared Operation Serval and hold the ground now in Barkain. Okay, before we end today's show, and hopefully on a more positive note, there are many suggestions to improve the situation in Mali, I presume. Yes, right. So a big problem following Operation Serval was the inability of the Malian government to consolidate and maintain control over its territory. They struggled to guarantee basic services to local population, which led to a loss in confidence and legitimacy. So I would say Mali became more vulnerable to extremist influence because the local population was more willing to turn to other sources to satisfy these needs. I see. Are there ways we can reverse this? Well, I think it's absolutely crucial to strengthen government institutions in order to build trust, restore confidence, provide greater accountability, fight corruption, and enable the religious and tribal communities to grow as citizens in Malian society. You mentioned trust. Where do we even start to rebuild that? Um, I think above all, the state needs to ensure that local communities can trust the police and army, which is not the case at the moment, definitely not. But if I'm a member of the Malian army with no support from my government, what's going to stop me from making sure my own needs aren't taken care of first? That's the question. There really needs to be a strong inner leadership in the armed forces to uphold the values and duties of security personnel down the chain of command. People need to feel that the police and army are there to protect them, not expose them to further suffering. Adequate salaries need to be ensured so that incentives for misbehavior and corruption are eliminated. 
Moving on to other actors, how about the international community? They can be a major help, but they can also be a major hindrance. What is their role now? I think that the international community should focus on accurate information gathering and collaboration from local partners um, to respond to terrorist threats. Are there successful examples of this approach? Yes, of course. Just look at Operation Serval. Here, knowledge of the terrain in combination with modern surveillance technology enabled a more discriminatory and targeted approach against terrorist actors, minimizing civilian soft target loss. I'd like to address another actor, one that's often overlooked, the local community. Do you think there's been too much focus on addressing immediate security concerns without taking into account the issues at the heart of the conflict? I think you raise a very important point here. The top-down approach used in Operation Serval was effective in addressing immediate security concerns, but disregarded the long-term sustainability of the situation in Mali. I think bottom-up grassroots engagement is likely to be fruitful in tackling the root causes of the conflict, also allowing for a more inclusive state-building process that is sensitive to local needs and interests. Are there any recommendations that directly address Mali's troubled history? I'm glad you brought that up. A focus on religious community building initiatives will help bridge the north-south divide that terrorists are exploiting. Inclusion of community and religious leaders is critical for calming tensions and improving organization from the bottom up. This will help change the negative perceptions that each side shares and will also increase the North's role in the state building process, giving them a say in how Mali's future is determined. Okay, do we have any final thoughts? I think information transparency will improve and the local population will find no need to support possible terrorist activity. This will eliminate a critical avenue of opportunity for the terrorists. With proper implementation, we can truly see lasting positive change, I think. Well, Elena, we share these same sentiments here and hope that the situation in Mali improves. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Elena, and our other distinguished guests, Amanda and Stephanie, for your time and insight. We posted a link on our website to Elena's Natura Desert NGO so that you at home can see all the great work that they do. And don't forget to subscribe to Terror Talk, the number one resource for terror-related talk since the bonfire meetings with Osama bin Laden.